the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is simply the type of pride that forgets, if even momentarily, that you are a sinner in need of grace. It is a pride that makes you walk into the church or be among Christians, and you consider yourself the, the sheriff, like in the Old West. The church is filled with outlaws that you need to rebuke and correct and take care of, when the reality is we are all, including you, outlaws. We are all sinners. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. We have been looking at the example, the warning in 1 Corinthians 10 for the church from the nation of Israel. And we've looked at the privileges of both Israel and the church. We've been warned of the sin of Israel and the pattern the church can fall prey to. And Paul now brings this section home by giving us some application. He does so by not only summarizing his point in all of this and what he has said thus far, but gives us a powerful promise in regard to temptation. We'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, having seen the privilege and the example of their sin and subsequent judgment in verses 1 through 10. We now come to this, these summary statements and this wonderful promise in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. Let me read that for you. He says, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. We find in this passage three practical lessons for the church through Israel. Three practical lessons for the church through Israel which we have seen already in the past couple of weeks. The first lesson for us this morning is the example. The example. And again, he tells us in verse 11, as we've seen already, that these things happened to them as an example. And they were written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We've seen Paul explain the incredible advantages that Israel had. And we've been reminded that we too have those incredible advantages. We've also seen Paul remind us of the incredible punishment that they faced when they sinned, when they fell into immorality and idolatry and grumbling. The point of all of it 
was to connect Israel's experience with our own. He is speaking directly to the Corinthians, Paul is, but the Lord is speaking to all of us Christians in the church age. You see, we too have those privileges and we too are prone to wander. In other words, Paul is saying they were recorded so that we would learn from their example. That's a pretty powerful statement. That all of this was recorded for our sake. The word instruction that he uses here in the Greek is more than just teaching, more than just instruction as we would perhaps understand it in our language today. It also carries the idea of an admonition, a warning. We learn about but also are warned about both God's love and God's wrath. And we must understand that what we hold on our laps this morning, what we hold in our hands, our Bibles, is not just to be read and studied for our intellectual enlightenment, not just so we can answer people when they have questions about the Bible. It is so that we can live out what we learn, to live out what we are taught, what the Bible says. And though there are many rules and commands that reflect the character of God and His desire for us, there are also many, many clear examples of those who failed and fell as they serve as a history lesson for us. All of this is for us. The Old Testament is not for them. It is for us. It is for us to learn from, to learn not just of the character of God, not just in His plan and His history, His story, but the lessons contained in them. We must guard ourselves from studying the Old Testament as we perhaps studied history in high school. Just memorize the dates and facts, regurgitate them on the test, and then forget them forever. We've done this throughout our lives, haven't we, for exams? That's not the case with the Bible. We study it, and we study it again. We live it out. We study it again. We live it some more. Is that not the case for those of you who are in the habit of reading through the Bible once a year or so, something like that? You read things that you know you read last year and the year before, but wow, that's new. I didn't notice that before, and so you excel still more. And this is the truth about the example of Israel. And these examples of the past have led up to this present age. Paul refers to those who are in the ends of the ages. What is that? This includes the Corinthians of 2,000 years ago, but also includes us. We're all in the ends of the ages. This is simply the church age. You understand there were different ages in God's sovereign plan before He even created the earth, and we've seen that worked out and still working out. We are in the end. We are in the ends of the ages. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ inaugurated a new age. And at that time, the world entered the final days, the last chapter of history. What's next is what we call the end times followed by eternity. We're in the last chapter, the ending of this last chapter being the end times. And it's the same thing with any novel you read or or TV show or movie that you watch, right? The big twist at the ending only makes sense because of everything you've seen thus far. And so it is for us as we study the historical narrative of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Now, this, of course, was God's plan all along. 
it's spoken of, it's prophesied, it's promised so clearly in the Old Testament that the record of the main character of the Old Testament, which is Israel, is seen by Paul as an example and warning for us. We live in the time when the things that were hidden and veiled are now revealed. We know them. We know who the Messiah was to be. We know the details of his life. The nation of Israel had some prophecies, but they didn't have the details as we have clearly outlined for us in the Gospels and in Acts. The veil has been lifted, says 2 Corinthians 3.14. The veil has been lifted both historically, 2,000 years ago, as well as salvifically. In other words, the time has come because Christ has come, but those who do not turn their lives to Christ still have the mysteries hidden to them. And even though we are in these exciting times and we know the realities of Christ, the realities of Christ that have long been fulfilled as new covenant Christians, as Christians, as those in the church age, it would be a foolish mistake to overlook or to ignore the Old Testament. Yes, new covenant Yes, new culture. Yes, new people, but same God. Same God. And he has recorded these things for our sake. It is there for our instruction. Now, we know this. Paul's talked about this. He's just summarizing things that he's already said, so let's move on. The second practical lesson for the church through Israel is the exhortation. The exhortation. He writes in verse 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. He says, here's the moral of the story. Remember those when you were a kid in class? Here's the moral of the story. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In case it hasn't been clear thus far, The point that Paul is saying, is making right here, is simply, watch out. I've told you about the Israelites. I've told you about the blessings that they received and physically present. The cloud, the fire, the manna, the quail, the clothes not wearing out for 40 years, the sandals not wearing out for 40 years. And yet, he says, I've told you, all about this for one reason, watch out. Be careful. Don't get proud because you yourself may fall just like they did. He's saying to the Corinthians, you've seen what happened to them, now here's the moral of the story, and it's the same for us. He's specifically addressing or warning all those who think they stand firm. You know what that means? You're okay. I don't need this. Don't tell me what to do. Don't warn me. I'm good. I got it together. These are the people who think they're okay. They're doing fine. Those that can't really relate to the story of the Israelites, or at least they think they can't because they say, well, I'm not going to do those things. I stand firm. It's those that listen to the sermon and have everyone in mind, oh, they should hear this, except for themselves. In Corinth, this is those that think they're more mature 
because of their advanced or supposed advanced knowledge. And thus, they say, we can freely without problem attend the feasts in those temples, those cults, without realizing how dangerous it is, not just in potentially causing others to stumble, as we saw a lot in previous chapters, but also the danger now it is to themselves in going there. Remember the connection to the Israelites' idolatry and immorality. It's why Paul points back to the Israelites' flirting, which led to full-blown acceptance, followed by participation in the idolatry of the people that God told them to either avoid or annihilate. They were to destroy them. Then they became them. And Paul says, watch out. For us today, as I said last week, it's the overconfidence. It's overconfidence in the Christian life. Can God do it? Absolutely. We're not talking about overconfidence in God. He is holy, 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 as we just sung. He is perfect. He is there. He gives you strength. But He also puts a responsibility in our lap. It's overconfidence in thinking that you are spiritually mature enough to push your conscience to the limit in your interactions with the things of the world, to toy around with gray areas and say, I'll be okay. I know it causes some people trouble, but I'm okay. I'm fine. No problem. This eventually leads to spiritual recklessness that can end in disaster, which which is what Paul is warning against here. He loves these people. God loves us. He doesn't want this to happen. Again, unlike the Israelites, believers will not face this kind of judgment where masses of us are struck dead because we are in Christ. Nor are we talking about the loss of salvation, which is impossible. What we are talking about is sin, discipline from the Lord. It could involve the loss of reward, the ruin of testimony, But most importantly, the failure to honor God, to glorify God in our lives. And again, if that's not your main concern, then therein lies the problem because all you are concerned about is yourself. I want to feel good. I want to do good. I want to be a successful Christian. Then, of course, you're going to fall into this trap. But if all you care about, or primarily at least, is the glory of God, then all of these things will fall into place. This is what Paul, is, Paul means when he talks about falling at the end of the verse, to fall into sin, to fall into discipline. What this really comes down to, guys, is pride. Not necessarily an arrogant, boastful pride that we may see among celebrities and, and, and famous athletes, walks into the church and demands all eyes on me. This is not what we're talking about. That's rare in the church among true believers. This is simply the type of pride that forgets, if even momentarily, that you are a sinner in need of grace. It is a pride that makes you walk into the church or be among Christians and you consider yourself the the sheriff like in the Old West and the church is filled with outlaws that you need to rebuke and correct and take care of when the reality is we are all, including you, outlaws. We are all sinners. We all need to help each other. We talked about this in our men's group last Thursday. This is the person who says, what's wrong with you? In a condescending, arrogant manner instead of, is everything okay? 
who wants to bash on the head rather than taking up arms and saying, we're going to see each other through this. It's the person who cries out for grace in the midst of trial and sin, receives it, then when he sees other people in the same situation, just rebukes and preaches and bashes, forgetting how lowly they were just picked up by God's grace. We need to be careful. We need to hold up. We need to help because we understand that we are all in the same boat. We all start looking out for each other. We think we don't belong in that little safety boat in the midst of the ocean. We take our axe and we start hacking away at that boat so that we can have our own little plank that we can float away on. Guess what? We all drown. We're all in the same boat. What you're doing when this happens is not defaulting to God, but trusting in your own wisdom, in your own experience and resources, despite the fact that that pillar of fire is right beside you. That's what the Israelites did. Not the occasional miracle. Not, hey, remember back when he provided that manna? That was just a few hours ago. Hey, remember that, that fire that used to be with us? Oh, the one right there? They didn't have to look back. They had the cloud. They had the fire. They had the manna every morning. They could look at their clothes. They could look at their children and say, we have been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. And just like us, they have a choice. They could choose option A, which is 40 years Come on, God! The same food every day. Walking in circles. I'm tired of it. Or they can say, my belly is full for 40 years. God, you are so good. You are so good. Not, oh, the same food every day, but food. To provide this food every day for 40 years, Lord. Unbelievable. This, I would change this garment every five years in Egypt. And this terror is from when we fled Egypt that night where I caught it on the nail in my, on my door and it ripped. And for 40 years that hole has not grown bigger. You have sustained this garment for 40 years. Praise God. The choice is ours. What do you want to do? Stand up and shake your fists or fall to your knees and open your palms and worship. It's right beside us. Not the physical fire or cloud, the physical manna, but listen, if you're hungry right now, it's something you did or maybe your kids did that made you miss breakfast because you have food. He has provided. And I can almost guarantee that most, if not all of you, specifically, either last night or this morning, remembered what you wore to church last Sunday so you wouldn't wear the same thing today because you have more than one pair of pants, more than one dress, more than one skirt, more than one blouse, more than one shirt, which according to Scripture makes you wealthy. God gave you that. But we forget. We forget sliding the clothes, <sighs> nothing to wear, nothing to wear. 
open the fridge. You've got to move stuff around so you can complain that there's nothing behind all the jars that you want to eat. God has provided. He has given us, and He has given us His Word. And not to mention that we live in a country where you can own as many of these as you want, which most of you don't even do that because you have it on your phone. It's in your pocket all the time. God has given us that. And we must be careful of becoming proud. We may quote the Word when we're proud to help others, but we're really just presenting ourselves. And somehow we read God, but our attitude and our heart and our mindset is saying, listen to me, me. We rebuke people for things and we get upset when they don't listen. Why? Because they didn't listen to me. If you're really worried that they weren't listening to the Word of God, you would be grieved. You would be weeping. You would go back with humility and say, please, this is about the Lord. We get upset because I want to be listened to. And this is the person who thinks he stands firm but is in the danger of falling. We must be careful. We must be careful. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. 1 Corinthians 1.31, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not himself, not his own wisdom, but in the Lord. So what do you do when you find yourself in this situation? What do you do when you find yourself thinking, I'm better than this person. I need to correct them. I need to step in. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't exist, so unless I say something, they're not going to change. You would never say that, but we act like that. We all do this from time to time. We're tempted to sin. We're tempted to become arrogant. We're flirting with idolatry, not a statue of false religion, but the things, the, the, the spiritual, physical idolatries of this world that we've talked about, right? Success, money, better job, family, all those types of things. Maybe we're locked into a mindset of condescending pride and arrogance. What do we do? Well, that leads us to our third and final practical lesson for the church through Israel, this amazing promise. We've seen the example, the exhortation, and now the engagement. The engagement. God is engaged in your life, and you need to be engaged in your own life and in the resisting and turning away from temptation and sin. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Let's break this down phrase by phrase. First, understand that being tempted or temptation is not sin. It is what leads to sin. It often leads to sin, but it is not sin in and of itself. Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. The word temptation actually simply means to test, to try, or to prove. The word itself carries no negative connotation, although often, usually, it is used in Scripture with a negative connotation. Here, Paul is talking about the temptation to sin, we know what this means. Temptation is all around us. It is part of being human. 
It's part of being human because humans are sinners, and we know that temptation comes to fruition from our own lusts. It comes from within. Let me explain. The object of your temptation is outside of you. That woman, that car, that person you want to hurt because they offended you, that desire for anger and vengeance. But that object is not a magnet where it has an inherent ability to draw something to itself. It is your own lust that makes that otherwise benign object a source of temptation. These things are not like the fabled siren's call that drives any man who hears it crazy to jump overboard to his death. That thing is just a thing until you add your lust to it. What that means is we don't blame that thing for our temptation. It is you. Think about it. If it was that particular thing, that object, let's say a car that drove you to temptation, to lie, to be materialistic, to be whatever, if that in and of itself had the power to tempt without anything we add to it from our own sin, then all people in the world would be tempted by that same object. It's not inherent in the object. It's in our hearts. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.